Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Zion. Today's shir is Leilu Nishmas Sanazalba Vas Benyamim. May her memory be a blessing. May Nashama have an alia. Also for a full shlema of Shaina Bas Gita and Zalman Ben Leia. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. And it's a very special day in Daf Yomi. It's the yard site of Rav Meir Shapiro. That, uh, yeah, today, uh, the, he was the, I think it was in 1923 when he started pushing for um, Daf Yomi, pushing uh, the cycle. And as you've seen, it's growing more and more powerful uh, by that and more and more influential long after he uh, started the program. Um, yeah, he's a... I think one of the most special things about being involved in that Yomi besides for obviously the advantages, the huge advantages of learning every day and Germany uh, moves more that way. The huge advantages of learning every day that we can't compare. I don't know any other series that continue through uh, December and on public holidays, um, which is, it's, no, it's really, really a mile in uh, it's literally that Yomi's every single day. I mean, even if you end up skipping a few over, year, over the year or whatever, in theory, it's every single day and people don't uh, treat that lightly, which is phenomenal. But also it's that every single Jew over the world is discussing the same topics, the same, uh, the same ideas and... Uh, that's a uh, very, I think that's a very special dimension as well. The, uh, okay, so the answer of Mary Shapiro is uh, your side today. That's it. Yeah, so now, yesterday we mentioned Rav Popper's questions. We know that we've learned and we've brought a posse for it, that there is a Yad for Tzedakah, a, a, a Yad for Nadorim. If a person says a partial phrase, but we know what he means, the Neder takes effect. It's binding, and so too we, I mean, with the if it's leans that we understand what he's saying, but it's not 100% clear, or it only slightly leans one way over the other, then we've said, um, then it's a machlokes, whether the narrative takes effect. And obviously, as we pointed out, if it's not very clear which way he means, it's an ambiguous statement or just too little information, then it doesn't count. Rav Popo was asking regarding other mitzvahs. So we started with Kiddushin. We said the reason, yeah. And there was, there was a slight difference in the type of Yad by other mitzvahs like Kiddushin, and as we'll see the other ones. But I think let's, let's see if it comes up again. But basically with Kiddushin, we said maybe on the one hand, Kiddushin is stronger or doesn't require a good statement because you do an action as well. Or maybe by the fact that you need an action, the declaration has to be clear. Those are two ways we had of looking at Kiddushin. Um, we left it unresolved. Then Rav asked, what about payer? Now we said, why is payer, once he's asked Kiddushin and it's unresolved, why would payer maybe be easier to resolve? Because payer we said is brought in the same posuk with Kodshim. Okay, not explicitly, but uh, it's hinted to in the posuk because the posuk which says you're not allowed to delay offering your korbanos has a lot of extra words. There are a few extra praises in the few in the few psukim there. It's all learned out in the towards the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. But there, the extra word may infor includes neket shemayah. So in the same posuk which discusses, there's a well, let's rephrase it. There's a hekesh between. Paya and Kodshim. Kodshim, we know, is a netter, and that's how you make a sacrifice uh, 
holy. So maybe it's connected that just as a Yad works to make something a Korban and take a letter, so too a Yad would work to affect Paya. On the other hand, it's not explicit in the Apostle. So maybe we limit it to Balta Acher and not another explanation, and not also Naamecha. So now we're going to continue with this line of thinking. Yesh, at top of Zayin Amur Aleph, 7a, says, Yesh, Yad le Ain Yad le Is there a Yad to Tzedakah or not? Now, just before we ask the, <coughs> the Ran mentions, um, where was it? Yeah. It says Tzedakah is also mentioned in that pasuk of Baal so maybe we should make the correlation between Tzedakah and Kodshim also regarding Yad. Now the Gemara says, what's the case? If a person says this wad of cash is for tzedakah and so too hadinami, so too this one, says that's actual tzedakah. There's no, no question that the second wad is also tzedakah. The case is where he says and this, but he doesn't say and this one also. So he points to one. Uh, Takes, picks up some cash and he says, this is for tzedakah. And then he goes to a second one and this. Now what does that mean? He says, my hadinami tzedakah kamar. Is he saying this one is also tzedakah? Or dilma, my hadin, or maybe what does this one mean? He's saying it's for other expenses. And he just didn't finish his sentence. Right? Do we say that he means this is tzedakah and this? And he means is also for tzedakah, or maybe he means this is for tzedakah, and this, I mean he says in this, he means is going to be for my groceries. Who says, so again it's vague, it's not so clear. So now he explains, since it's connected to korbanos, again this is in the same psukim where it's discussing Balta Acher, it also says, b'ficho, zu tzedakah, ma korbanos yeishlem yad, just as Korbanos have a Yad, Af Tzedakah Yeshlem Yad, so too Tzedakah has a Yad, or Dilma, or perhaps the Balta Acher Huda Iskish, it is connected for Balta Acher. Um, yes, yeah, so maybe this connection between Tzedakah and Just lost my channel as well. This connection between Sadaka and uh, the connection between Sadaka and Nadorim, Sadaka and Kobodos, maybe it's complete, or maybe it's only for Balta Acher. Now, interesting enough, the, the commentary, the, the, the Ran and Toslas they go into on the page. Um, Generally, when we say a hekesh, we say it's for all aspects. So once we connect a docker to korbanos, a docker to nadorim, 
we should say it's for all aspects. And you can say the same thing regarding the previous one. So why all of a sudden do we say it's only a partial um, it's only a partial hekesh. Shouldn't we say it's a full hekesh? Why? So the one answer given is that no. Because if it would have said something like tzedakah or the previous um, or payah or something like that, then obviously the hekesh would be valid. But here it's alluded to. Uh, the hekesh is between the word b'ficho. We know, oh, b'ficho is tzedakah. Now we have a connection. So maybe when it's such a vague connection, then it's not so strong. Tosos gave another answer. Where was it? Um, I don't know, I'm struggling to find where I wrote the different things down. Um, okay, let's, so that's one answer of why we're not concerned about the Hekesh here. Again, the general principle is Hekesh applies, would connect all halachas. But here, since it's vague, we're not going to take it um, so uh, <coughs> um, here, since it's only an illusion in the Pasuk, maybe it's not a proper Hekesh, and it's only for Baal Ta'akhir, not for the other Halachas. Thing. What have we said? That but tzedakah, we're not sure if a yad works to make something considered tzedakah. Um, there are more in your Adaya Rational Ches. Got it here. Yud Gimel is discussing the halachas of tzedakah. It says as follows Ha'omer Chaybet Plony and he knows that tzedakah bakach bakach. Etc. Okay. Um, he says, someone thinks in his heart, to give something to Tzedakah, he's obligated to fulfill his intent, his thought, and it doesn't require speech. Yeah. Well, let, 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 let's, it's unique to Tzedakah. It's unique to Tzedakah. It's unique to Tzedakah. Yeah. Might be unique to Tzedakah and maybe Korbanus as well, but Tzedakah. So, but again, the, the issue here is Algamor is discussing does a Yad take effect, a partial declaration. There are more comes along and says without any, without any declaration is valid. So why should a, a Yad be any, any weaker than just thinking it in mind. Again, if I think, oh, this uh, 20 rand note that I have in my pocket, I'm going to give it to Tzedakah. If that makes, that I have to give that money to Tzedakah, why should it be any weaker a yad? So the one answer given is it, it's, it, it, it's got to do with your intent. If your intent is to make the money Tzedakah through a declaration, like through a regular nano donation, then it has to be 
It has to meet the criteria of what's considered a declaration. Whereas to make it through intent, well then the intent, again, a very subtle difference. I think the question on the Ramoy is better than the answer. But this, in this halacha has very interesting ramifications. Let's say you see someone who's collecting money, and you say, okay, oh, they just walk past. After sure, I'll go give them, I've got a 20 rand note, I'll go give them, I've got a 100 rand note, whatever it is, I'll go give it to Tzedakah. And then they walk off. You don't get a chance to give them. Sometimes happens not so much here, but I remember we haven't seen the shulachim in a while. But you know, they go around the shul collecting money, and you think, okay, I'll give it to them. And then you, while you're taking off your twilling, they've already left. So, then, so what do you do? Is that money that you were thinking to give to Dhaka? So many say not really. Uh, there's a big discussion. Some say, well, clearly it is. You plan on giving it to Dhaka and you have to give it to a poor person. Others say, no, your intention was when he comes to you, you'll give this money as Sadaka. Since he never comes to you, you don't have to give Tzedakah. Um One thing Rav Shlomo Zalman used to be particular that um, he says you should think that your mind should be whenever you plan on giving Tzedakah, that sort of scenario should be when I put the money in his hand as Tzedakah. You should kind of train yourself to that be your thought, not that uh, this money is for him for Tzedakah, or this money is for Tzedakah, it should be when I hand it over, it's for Tzedakah. So, but that's not addressing this problem. No, oh, it's not addressing the, it's, it's just another practical halacha uh, that comes up as a result of this Ramor, kind of fascinating Ramor, that if you just think that you're going to give something to Tzedakah, it's binding. Um, but then, yeah, then you have the question of, uh, the, you still have the question, why should a yad be any weaker than a thing? I was just, I didn't read it carefully last night, but, um, well, firstly, he brings a second opinion that you have to actually express it, but he says the first opinion that you can just think it is the correct opinion. But then he says, the Im Omar, Ella, the Im Omar, who you so they could force him. I, if based, if you get up in shul and say, oh, you know, you get an aliyah and you'll say, I'll give X to the shul or X to tzedakah, and you say it, they can take you to based in and make you pay it. No, that's what I was saying. So that's that right. could so be, so I think, so, but that should be, uh, that, that, if, that, I don't, like, I don't understand all those opinions that were asking the question on how do you resolve that with Al-Sukya. If you just have in mind, or we could say, like this, if you have in mind, or it's an insufficient yad, it's just considered a mental uh, intention, and they can't force you. As if you actually said, then they can force you. And the question is, does a yad count as actually saying it? That could be a very simple answer. Um, you know, I should read Shulchan Aruch more carefully before I quote it. Um, but as I said, the other 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 Athronim give a different question. They say, I guess, I guess, because the whole point to strengthen the question between the, uh, the Ramo and al Sugya is the weakness in a Yad is, is it what he really means? Therefore, if he would have thought it in his mind without specifying what he means, it's valid. If he partially says what he says, and we know what he means, that should definitely be valid. Okay, but let's go on to the next question. Yes, Yad Lehefker or Dilma Ain Yad Lehefker. Is there a Yad to Hefker or is there no Yad to Hefker. So Hefker is declaring something ownerless. Why, once we've asked the question, or does a Yad work by Tzedakah, are we asking by Hefker? What's the difference? So very interesting, they point out 
that Hefker is very similar to Tzedakah in that people would often declare their property ownerless so that poor people could come and uh, um, get it. I guess it's very similar to something you get nowadays. People will post on, uh, on uh, Facebook or one of the, one of the groups, you know, getting rid of a bookshelf where everyone said, please come collect it. So there you're, you're making it Hefker. And your intent is whoever comes collected. You might even more, they would often do it, and maybe that is your hope that someone who's poor and needs it actually gets it, but it's very similar to tzedakah. That's what's more, Hainu tzedakah, is that not the exact same question as we had regarding tzedakah? And this is, this is why he says, there's no imtim tzedakah, Omar, it's an imtim tzedakah. What's the imtim tzedakah? If you answer the previous question, then you have another question. It says, imtim tzedakah, if you say, that there is a yad to tzedakah. Why would you say that the yad works by tzedakah? Because you can't have a partial a partial hekesh. As I said, generally when you make a hekesh between two items, it's complete for all halachas. Whereas here it's just partial. So hefker miomrinen hainu tzedakah dilmashaini tzedakah. Do we say that hefker is the same as tzedakah? And therefore, we're including it in that hekesh. Or dilma shiny tzedakah tzedakah lo chazia elilaniim aval hefker beinanim beinoshim. Or at the end of the day, it is different because tzedakah is only for poor people and hefker is for poor or rich people. Then the Gemara asks, says, "Boy, Ravina, Ravina asks. Okay, all the questions up to here were up top and asked Ravina. Says, yes, yad Is there a yad to a bathroom, to a toilet, or not? What does that have to do with anything?" So interesting, according to the Torah law, when something has a room or an area has been used as a bathroom, it becomes a base kisen. You're not allowed to say kriyashma or anything there, even if it's been cleaned out. Now, the question, the Chachomim came along and said, even if you designate a room as a bathroom, you're not allowed to say kriyashma or learn Torah there. So again, so someone builds a new house and they renovate and they add on a bathroom. It's alright until it's actually been used as a toilet. And discussing Merchat, it would be fine to say Kriyashma in it. To Rabbonin, they said as soon as it's designated as a bathroom, then it becomes forbidden. Um, the other way around, if you turn this room, it used to be a toilet into a uh, That's a, that I'm not sure. That's an interesting question. Um, that's an interesting question. I know nowadays there are grounds to be more lenient with our toilets because nothing remains there. Remember their toilet was either a long drop or just a, <laughs> a bucket. Whereas here it just gets flushed out straight away. So they are grounds to go more lenient. But uh, yeah, I'm actually not sure about that. So say, um, yeah. So boy Ravina says, yeah, like the base. Okay, so if someone says, says, nah, hey, kidama, what's the case? Ilay met Omar hadin base, le have a base kise, vahadin nami, hey, base kise, nami have So see if someone says, I want this room to be the bathroom, the toilet, and also this one. Well, that's obviously making it into a Beisaki say. So it's Elaka gone to Omar, Vahadin law. It must be a case where he says, and this, sorry. He says, the Omar Vahadin, Velo Omar Nami. He said, and this, but he didn't say what he wants. And my Vahadin, what does he mean when he says, and this? Is it the Omar Vahadin Nami Beisaki say? And this should also be a Beisaki say. Or my Vahadin Maybe he means to say, and it should be for something else. I say, this will be the bathroom, and this, and he doesn't finish his sentence, will be the storeroom, this will be the bedroom, this will, he just says, and this. So which one does he mean? 
It seems that straightforward to Ravina that the, that Zimun designation is affected by Beisakisei. As I pointed out, strictly speaking, it only becomes a Beisakisei when it's used. But and Ravina says, That's a question. He's been a Beisakisei Mahu. Ravina elsewhere said, Does Hasmona take effect by Beisakisei? What would be the halach if you designate something as a bathhouse? Again, same question. So, Zimun Mo'al or Ain Zimun Mo'al? Does Zimun take effect or not? We see that um, um, we, we see that Ravina actually had a question does, it, does Zimun count? Again, in our question, his thing is does a yad work? I'm implying that Zimun definitely works. If you designate a room as a base akisa, it has the status of a base akisa and you can't say shma there. But, um, what, but that's taking for granted that Zimun works, where we know elsewhere of Papa actually asked, does Zimun work? Sorry, Ravina asked, does Zimun work? So, Ravina he's asking one absorbed in another question. So, Zimun Mohala ain't Zimun Mohal, does designation work or not? The Imtim Saloma, Yay Zimun, and if you do hold it, does work, Yay Yad or Ain Yad, does Yad work? And the Gemara says, Tiboy, Lay, it should remain a question. And that's what's Tiboile, that's where you generally find in Shas, Teiku. Again, as he pointed out, Nadorim has slightly, right at the beginning, remember the introduction, Shu, he said that Nadorim has certain phrases that are different language, different way of expressing things. So in the rest of Shas, where you see the word Teiku, here it means Tiboile. Yeah, let it stand, let it remain a question. Just interesting here, the run goes through what's the halakha in each of these cases. So he says, Bakidushin. Well, that's a sopek dorai, so you should go strict. So if someone uses a yad for kiddushin, I use as a vague term. Um, he says to a woman, you're married to me. And then he turns to a second woman and says, and you? Again, he said that's a yad. Does it work by kiddushin? You have to go strict and, strict and assume they are married. What about the others? So interesting, he goes into pay and sadaqah. He says many, many say that, well, when you have, again, there's, there's different ways of how do you deal with a taiku or a lonely boy. How do you do with it? So one, you could say, That's one way of doing it. Some say, no. Is actually deciding the halakha, saying, I know and I'm going to go lenient. But the Gemara says, So you should always go strict by a taiku. So maybe Batsadoka and Paya, etc. You should go strict. That's how some paskin. The Ran says he's not happy with that way of paskinning. He says, because that's only when it's a sophic isra, something you're allowed to do, something you're not allowed to do. Or, does the marriage take effect, does the marriage not take effect? But this is a monetary case. What do we do in a doubt in a monetary case? We always go after who's holding on to the money. So that's why the rug's not happy with that. So he says, therefore, you should always... Um, um, he says, there, by the tzedak and payer and hefker you would go after who's the muhsak. I, You want to tell me that this money had promised to tzedakah? Bring the proof. That's the general line of thinking there. Um, well, there's another interesting one. Yeah. So then there's a question on how the Rambam paskins. But this I'm just bringing out as a, as a klal in learning Gomorrah according to the Rambam. Is when there's an intim saloma. As we saw here by Beisakisei, um, how does an intim saloma work? It asks a question. And it says, in Tim Salomar, if you assume one way, 
Then we have a second question. Like just to use the one that we've just seen. Does zimun work? Does designating a room as a bathroom or a ba- as a toilet or a basamechat work? And in Tim Salomar it does work. I, if you say it does work, then we have a second question. Does a yad work? The Rambam always says, <coughs> one, if there's an intim salomar, you assume that is the halacha. So the intim salomar, so, so again, so according to the Rambam regarding a toilet, he says, designation def- does work. How do I know designation works? Because it was an intim salomar and said, if you say it does work. Right, so Rambam always learns intim salomar, you take that side. Okay, interesting uh, point in regards to psak. Let's go on to the next, fra- the last line of the Mishnah. It says, If someone says, I am Menude from you. Now we said that was an ambiguous term because Menude could mean I'm in Cherem from you or along the lines, I am separated from you. Now what did Rabbi Akiva say? We use the language Rabbi Akiva said. Um, Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva leaned to go strict. So with that, again, he didn't paskin that you go strict and treat it as a neder. He says you lean to go go strict. So Omar Abai Abai says, Rabbi Akiva would agree that you don't get lashes if you break that neder. Because then it should have taught that Rabbi Akiva Machmi, Rabbi Akiva was stringent. And by the fact that it says, Rabbi Akiva, along the lines of leaned to go strict, it means he's not sure, he's in doubt. You can't give someone lashes out of doubt. Pardon? Where's the run? Why do I hear it? I don't like it. So to you, it is best as a partial declaration. The more it has it, the Akira has been certain it is a matter. Yeah, so he says, yeah, what the run points out is it takes for granted that if it's a neder, this is um, yeah, the run, it says, he takes for granted that if it is a neder, even through a yad, there is malchus. The only question that here that Rabbi Akiva is in doubt of is when you say menudeh, does, is that the expression of excommunication or is that the expression of a neder? And Rabbi Kiva leans to go strict. Again, how's the run deal there? Because it says he leans to go strict and therefore there's no malchus. But if it was a yad, a valid yad, there would be malchus. I don't know why. Um, again, once we've learned out, um, once we've learned out that a yad from a posok, I don't know why there wouldn't be malchus. Okay, but either way, there's a malchus for transgressing your neder. The run is medayik in the sugya that even if you transgress a neder made through a yad, there's malchus. Again, Rabbi Akiva, the reason there's not in this case is because Rabbi Akiva's leaning to go strict, not that he actually paskins stringently. Um, now the Gomorrah is going to discuss um, this further. It says, Omar Papa, if a person says, I am separated from you, again, if you notice, it's similar to the word nida. That some translate, that's what, why, what's the word nida from? 
Again, when a woman is in nida, it's because she's separated from her husband. That's the one in the If someone says, I am nadina from you, they am separated from you. Everyone, no one argues, everyone agrees that also the vow takes effect. Because it's a language of separation. It's the same as, as we saw in the Mishnah, Mufuresh, Sani, Mimcho, etc. It says, Mishtamina. If a person says, I am excommunicated from you, the Kuli Al-Mashari, according to everyone, he's permitted, I, the nether, does not take effect. So what's Rav Papa saying? When he uses the language of Menida, separated, then definitely it's a nether. Where someone uses the word ex, clearly meaning excommunicated, it's definitely not a nether. But my Fliki, what is the Matloikas? The Munude Anilof, the Rebbe, um, where the person says menude, the Rebbe gives us a relation to niduya havya. Rebbe Akiva holds it can mean a language of separation. But Rabbanon saw relation to shamtono, who and Rabbanon hold no, it actually always means chayrem. But this Rav Papa is arguing on Rav Chizda. Why? There was a certain person who said, I am Mishamtina. Literally, as we said, that means excommunicated from the assets of Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba. Also, they came, to Rav Chizda, they came before Rav Chizda to ask, is that a valid neder? And Omelei leis techash lele Rabbi Akiva. No, we don't pass it like Rabbi Akiva. I kosova b'shamtona pligi. We see clearly he's holding in the language of excommunicated, they argued. Again, Rav Popper said the language of ex... There's no question regarding the language of excommunication. That, obviously, the neder does not take effect. But we see clearly that Rav is saying, no, the language of excommunication does take effect to contrary Akiva. We just don't paskin like Rabbi Akiva. <coughs> another way of expressing this, both uh, Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbonin hold that menude means excommunicated. The machloikes is excommunicated a term of um, neder. Again, if I say, again, very clearly, not a vague term, I am excommunicated from your property. Is that a term of a neder or not? Rabbonin holds it's not Rabbi Kiva holds it is. That's how Rav Chizda learns. Again, Rav Papa, how did he learn? Rav Papa learned, no. A term of excommunicated, no one argues in. That's only the vague term of menuda, which could mean separated or excommunicated. Once we mentioned excommunicated, we're now going to discuss that a bit further. Um, rules to do with excommunication. So just to note, Shulchan Aruch brings, I mean, it's based on the Ramam and the Gemara, I think, in White Katan, that there are 24 reasons why you put someone in Khairim. Um, he gives the full list, but I'll just read some of them. Someone who degrades a sage, even after he's died. Someone who degrades a uh, Messenger of Basin, I have Basin send someone to take money or to summons you, etc. Um, someone who calls his friend a slave. Um, someone who is someone who degrades the word, uh, uh, and obviously the words of the Torah. Um, someone who doesn't listen to a summons. Um, a whole lot of different um, 24 avarias that you put someone in Khairim for. 
So Omar Revilai Omar Rav Revilai the name of Rav Nidu Befonov Eimetirin Ela Befonov. If you put someone in Chayre before him, you are not allowed to release the Chayre except in front of uh, the, the excommunication except in front of him. Shelo Befonov Matirin Lo Bein Befonov Bein Shelo Befonov. If you put him in Chayre, if you put him in, if you excommunicate him. Technically, there are different types of excommunications, and that's where we get the word chayrim and nidui, etc. Um, nidui can sometimes mean a generic term, but let's learn chayrim as one thing and nidui as another. So if I slip up, I mean nidui. Um, there are different halachas regarding the stringencies of them. And so, but if you put him in nidui, if you excommunicate him not in front of him, then you can release him from it, whether in front of him or not in front of him. The run explains what's the difference. So he says, I why uh, um, um, why 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 does if you put him in Khairim in front of in Nidui in front of him you can only release him when he's there. So he says Nidui Aloyme so say the Ran brings, he said the kim in the Bafon of Nidu, Alim Nidui Veloyme Aker Ella Bafonov. Someone who explained that, no, when you put him in Nidui in front of him, eyes in front of you, and you put him in Nidui, that's a very strong Nidui and can only be released if it's in front of him. The Ran says, I don't think that's the correct shot. He says, Time the and the reason is because of Chashad. This is why the Matirin of Pamirim Shiyatiru Uva If you put him in Chayrem, not in front of him. Sorry, if you release him from his nidui, not in front of him, sometimes he won't be aware, and he'll see all the bays then and everyone treating him lightly, treating him like he's not in nidui, and therefore he will stop treating nidui seriously, and he will end up in um, in trouble. So that's. Uh, was it? I think. Uh, yeah. Or to, Paris the Rosh expresses these two answers slightly different. He says if you degrade him to the degree that you put him in Nidui in front of him, when you're releasing him, you may have to give him that extra level of honor and release him in front of him, release him from his Nidui in front of him. Or he gives a second answer. He says, again, like we just said, the concern is that. Um, people are going to start speaking to him and interacting. He will, or other people will not have heard that he was released from the Nidui. Again, the Nidui was made in front of him, and then then he went home and carried on his day, and the Bayes did release him from his Nidui, and everyone's not, and now there's some people are treating him as a Nidui, some people aren't, so they're going to start treating Nidui lightly. So to prevent that, we don't um, insist on that. But again, in a Nidui that was not done in front of him, well then, that we're aware that he might not, um, that they'll release him not in front of him and that he'll understand is why they've stopped treating him in Nidui. The Gemara now goes on to discuss again, it seems not unique to Nidui, to this Nidui for the reason it gives, but for others. If someone hears someone mention Hashem's name, they need to put him in Nidui. And if he doesn't put him in Nidui, he himself should be put in Nidui. Uh, yeah. 
And before we go any further, the Shulchan Aruch again mentions when discussing this, what are we talking about, what are we referring to? So it says, if you hear Hashem's name mentioned in vain, or someone takes a false shua, or he says a bracha she'en tzricha, I mean that's quite severe. All these cases of, he says Hashem's name in vain, and it's learnt out from the Pasuk, Es Hashem Tiro, you must fear Hashem your God. Um, therefore, um, we learn that someone who mentions Hashem's name, again, for any of the above reasons, but for no reason, they put him in Nidui. Not only that, if someone hears that and he doesn't put him in Nidui, he himself should be put in Nidui. The run points out it can't be that he ends up automatically in Nidui because how can the person who hears it is less, be more strict than the person who actually says Hashem's name? So it must be that someone else has to put him in Nidui, but then you run into trouble. I'm not going to discuss the answer, but the question is, wait. If he heard someone say Hashem's name and he didn't put him in Khairim, he's saying that people must put him in Khairim. Who heard him not respond that didn't hear the person say Hashem's name? Well, then they should also be put in, uh, put in Nidui. So how does that work? Okay, interesting question. But then it says, Im Pardon? It says, or? Or Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, now it says, so the Gemara says, now why is this? Why is someone who just hears someone else say Hashem's name in vain put in Chayrim? So because it's very strict, it says, wherever you find Hashem's name mentioned again in vain, their poverty is mentioned. And Anius is like death. says, those men have died. I'll, I'll explain how that's approved shortly, but it says, Vatanya, and it's listen, wherever Chachomim look at something with displeasure, it says, there's either death or poverty. So we see, we see the severity of Hashem's name will bring about poverty, which is similar to death, and therefore, at so severe, we put someone in Chayrem. I'm interested in where is it? Um, the Pasuk says, um, wherever I mention my name, I will come and I will bless you. So if Hashem's name mentioned correctly brings bracha, His name mentioned in vain will obviously bring the opposite of bracha, I poverty. Now how do we see it? What's the case of Kimesu Kolanoshim? So that is where Hashem told Moshe he must go back to Mitzrayim to save the Jews. Um, and then, um, and there, at, Moshe was concerned. He says, I can't go back, because remember, the whole reason I left Egypt was because I murdered an Egyptian, and Doson and Aviram are going to report me to Paro. That was Moshe's fear, that Doson and Aviram would report him to Paro. So how can I go back to Mitzrayim? They're still around. So Hashem says, don't worry, they're dead. He may Hashem. Now, it can't be literally that they were dead, because we have a tradition, wherever we see the phrase along the lines of Notsim or Nitzavim, that's referring to Dasa Menavirum. And it says, but the Machloikes of... Um, um, it says, but the Machloikes of Korach, that they were standing there. So it must be that Tosin Aviru, now remember when Moshe went to Mitzrayim, this is long before Korach, so they must have still been alive. So Elo Dibibnei She'inu, Omer Kimesu. Just by the fact that they had become poor, 
It means that they had died. Now the Ryan asks an interesting question. He says, but wait, we've learned elsewhere that there are four people who are considered as if they are dead. Oni Suma Umitsura. Umishainobonim. Someone who is poor, someone who's blind, someone who is a Mitsura, and someone who does not have sons. Children. So how do we know that when the apostle says that they have died, that it means they are poor? Maybe it means they don't have children, or maybe it means that they were blinded. So the Gemara answers, no, it can't mean any... So the Ran explains it can't mean any of the other three. It must be in poverty. He says, well, firstly, it can't mean that they were blinded because it says by Korach that their eyes should be poked out. It can't mean that they were already blinded. It says it can't mean that they were... Um, say one second... Yeah, it can't mean that they were Mitzurah and that they had Tzorah, because again, by Korach it says, the Kerev Kol Yisrael, they were amongst all of Israel, and a Mitzurah would be uh, ex- would be outside the camp. He wouldn't be the Kerev Kol Yisrael. So it can't be Mitzurah. And it can't mean that he doesn't have children, because that that, that, that doesn't have children, don't have children, because then why couldn't they report to Paro? Okay. If they were wealthy and influential, then Moshe is in trouble. They can go to Paro and get him in trouble. But if they've lost all their wealth, then we have no such concerns anymore. Um, okay, so that's uh, and so that's how we know that again, someone who when those men have died, Moshe, you don't have to worry about them. Must mean Dasan and Aviram lost all their wealth, became poor, and that's how we see the severity, and you know, that we extended to the severity of an error. Omar Rabbi Abba said, I was standing before Rabbi Abba, and, I, and we heard this woman. Say Hashem's name for nothing. Shamte and he put her, he excommunicated her. The Shoralor and then he released her immediately in front of her. Shmamina class, and we learn three things from the story. Firstly, So we see clearly that if you hear Hashem's name mentioned from someone else, you have to put them in Nidui. Ushmamina, so that, that's pretty straightforward that we've discussed. Second one is Shmamina Nidu Bafonov, a material Ella Bafonov. We see that he was particular to release her from her Nidui in front of her, must be because a Nidui made in front of the person has to be released in front of the person. We say that you don't need any time lapse between the Nidui and the Hafora. You can put him in. You can put the person in Nidui and release them immediately. Again, so what's the advantage of putting this woman in Nidui for a moment? To show her the severity. Um, it's to, you know you're deserving Chayim. Now we're sure you've learned, you, you're deserving Nidui. We're sure you've learned your lesson, so we're going to release you. But then she realizes the severity of what she's done. The Ran asked, but wait, this seems to contradict another Gemara. Let me just find the Ran inside quickly. That this, this seems to contradict the Gemara in Eidu Makalton in Moed Katan, which says that there's no Nidui less than 30 days. Now here we seem to be saying you don't need the Nidui, it can be for a minute, for a very short time. Whereas in 
El, in Moed Katan, we said it should be for at least 30 days. So Tosfut's answer, he says, no. This Nidui is different because this Nidui is to impose fear on her. La <coughs> to, to realize how severe it is. But where it's because the person was um, intolerant, uh, or sorry, insolent, or something like that, then the Nidui should be um, for 30 days. Again, you still have the question, but here it's for insolence. She wasn't, she's not in Nidui because of, uh, she's in Nidui because she disrespected Hashem, so it should be 30 days. She says, no, okay, sorry, that's because here it's just to place the fear on her, they're in the wrong order. Um, then, however, um, the riff, and he brings the Rambam, they actually learn these two Gemaras as arguing. Okay, so do you see how this is fascinating because this is a general method we find between uh, the way the Tosfos learn Shas and the Rambam learn Shas. Tosfos says that we have these two different, different sugis. One says you can put Nidui has to be 30 days and the other one has to be, can even be, the Al-Gemara says it can even be for a moment. Yeah. So Tosfos tie them together and say, no, there's a difference. Where are you putting someone in Chayrim for insolence or Nidui for insolence, then it has to be for 30 days. But here, it's just to to deter her, to la'aymoleo, to make her afraid. It can be for much shorter. The Rambam, however, they learn, oh, these two sugyas, they're not tying the two sugyas together. They learn them as a machlokas. One sugya says, your nidu should be at least 30 days. And our sugya says, nidu can be even for a form, uh, for a moment. You have to choose which one you pass can like. They, for various reasons, the Rambam and Ruf, Paskin like Al-Sugya. Um, so, I found, so that's just, again, that's often you find, that's how Tosos work. Tosos will bring two contradictory Sugyas and show that they agree with each other and why there's a difference. Like we've just done here. Whereas the Rambam and the Ruf, what they, they'll often learn, contradictory Sugyas as argue with each other and you've got to decide how to paskin between the two. It's a different way. Again, not it's very, very often you find that this is a difference between how the Toysos approach the Sugya, how they'll approach Shas, and how the Rambam approaches Shas. It's, uh, that's just a fascinating idea in their whole, they learn when they're reading the Gemara, they're learning it in a totally different way. Are the two Sugyas arguing or are they agreeing? They're just discussing a different scenario. Um, Let's do one more phrase. It says, Omer Rabbi Gidal Omarav. Pardon? Omer Rabbi Gidal Omarav. Rabbi Gidal said, Name of Rav. Tamar Chochom Manadela Atma Umayfil Atma. The Tamar Chochom can put himself in Chayrem and in Nidui and release himself. Pshita, isn't that obvious? There's no Maudutayna in Chomish Materias Atma Beisasurim. Someone who's tied up cannot release himself from prison. Ah, you need a. Someone external to come and take someone out of jail, to come and undo the handcuffs. So maybe you would have thought that a Tamil Chochum who puts himself in Khairim can't release himself. Uh, yeah, I'll come back to that point. He says, Hey, Chidami, now what's the case? So he says, No, it's similar like the case of Mazutra Chasidr. When a certain student would be. A, 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 a yeshiva student or a Talmud Chochum would be deserving of Chayrim. Meshamis Nashe Beresha, he would first put himself in, in excommunication. Bahada Meshameshes Barbe Rav, and then later on, 
he would go and put the Babayraz in Khairam. And then as soon as he'd get home or about to get home, he would release himself and then release the other Talmud Chacham. Well, how would he put himself in Khairam in excommunication before excommunicating the second person? So one is to show his pain and covered Torah that he's, um, how severe he'd use putting a Talmud Chacham in Khairam. Um, so that's why he put himself in. I guess almost like by the fact that I'm going to put him in uh, Nidui, I also deserve Nidui. That's the one way of looking at it. The other way he's explained is not so that he doesn't forget and he's not careless. You know, by the time you put someone in Nidui in the day and then by the time you get home and all the confusion and everything, you might have forgotten. So. Uh, and she to forget. Why? To be in Kherem. Uh, no, it doesn't. He put someone else in He excommunicates someone else. But so what he would do to make sure that he doesn't forget that he's put someone else in Khairim, he puts himself in Khairim. Uh-huh. And then he thinks out, why would he release them from the Neda when he gets home? Because he's going to cause his family to stumble and start talking to him <coughs> and uh, transgress the laws of Nidui and excommunication. So that's why he would release it just before they got home. Okay, another interesting point. Again, um, here he brings... Um, it was a cost of Harajma. So just we'll end off with this point. Um, says when would this when this Tamud Chacham puts we said Rav Gidl's statement was a blanket rule that a Tamud Chacham can if he puts himself in Nidui can release himself. So the Rashba says, when is this that he's able to release himself? Again, so he says, must be must be where he was not really deserving of Nidui. Like the story of Mazutra Chasida. He wasn't deserving Nidui. It was just out of his reluctance to put the Yeshiva student or to trigger his memories or to remind him to release the, the other Talmud Chochem that he would put, but not because he was really deserving it. That's how the Rashba learns. Um, but in general, if he would be deserving of Nidui and put himself in Nidui, he'd have to get someone else to release him, I guess, to determine that he doesn't need to be in Nidui anymore. And then he says, but they ask on the Rashba. He says, so that's, that, what's the novelty? What, someone puts themselves in Nidui when they don't deserve, they can release themselves from Nidui. Like, that's not even a discussion. So he says, therefore, he says, the Bechol Inyan, he brings the others who say, um, the Rambam amongst him, the Bechol Inyan Shenida is Atmo, Meifala Atmo. Anytime a Tamil Shmokhan puts himself in Nidui, he can release himself. Um, and that's uh, so, so interesting. My focus when is this Tamil Shmokhan allowed to release himself? Is it only when he put himself in Nidui undeservedly? Or is it, like the Rambam says, in all scenarios? Okay, and we'll leave it there for today. Thank you.